Happy 2016, Danger Room fans. Welcome to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. That, that was supposed to be one of those noise blowers. Oh. But I don't actually have one. Hmm. So I had, to, I, had to, I had to act fast. That was good improvisation. <laughs> so, so we're here to do, at the beginning of the year, you'd think we'd be doing like a really good X-Men issue. But in fact, we're not. We're doing... The X-Men and the Micronauts, one through four. For children with imagination, the world of the Micronauts. Spacemen, robots, vehicles, some with magnets, some with batteries, and all with interchangeable parts, so your child can create dozens of different toys. And when Micronauts start a child's imagination working, he can create just about anything. Toys that climb, toys that spin, toys that float, toys that stimulate young minds. Look what I made. Micronauts by Mego. The uh, cover date of this is January 1984 through April 1984. The first one was on sale October 4th of 1983. I don't really care about the rest of them. The uh, cover price is 60 cents. And the title of this one is First Encounter. Like Encounter at Farpoint, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you know about the Micronauts before going into this issue? Like before you read this, what did you know about the Micronauts? I think we did this same conversation when <laughs> oh. we did the Nightcrawler meets the Micronauts issue. And I'll say what I said then, I think, which is I think it's a toy. Uh, well, actually, now I know it's a toy because they talk about the toy in this very comic. Yeah. Okay. I didn't actually even remember because this comic does reference the Nightcrawler Micronauts thing. Uh, and I was like, well, Adam must have covered this, but I, I didn't remember <laughs> <laughs> so sorry hey that's all right <laughs> so yeah same same here uh and i pr- we probably talked about this in the nightcrawler one I, I had no knowledge of the micronauts but whatever here we go this is the world of the micronauts a croyer the enemy and the micronaut space warriors all sold separately space glider galactic warrior time traveler made to fit the micronaut vehicles like the photon sled can stage make-believe battles against a Croyer. Like all Micronauts, a Croyer has interchangeable parts, so you can create your own toys. Micronauts, made of plastic and die-cast metal, each sold separately by Mego. On the cover of this X-Men and the Micronauts number one, you have, uh, you've got the X-Men, uh, all of them, really. And you got the Micronauts. All of them, really. And uh, you got some dude who... Some, yeah, some dude with like a mohawk helmet... But that's all you can tell is the back of him. Like they're facing, he's facing off the Micronauts and the X-Men. I'll yeah. save what I have to say about this character for, for his reveal. Yeah, that's okay. We can allude to it a little bit, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so we open up this thing. Uh, it, 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 we, we get an introduction right away to the Micronauts. Uh, we've got Huntar, Acroyer. Oh, I always thought it was Acroyer. Whatever. Acro year, <laughs> bug. He's the. I think he's the fan favorite. Bug is. Yeah, that's my guess. Okay. Knowing nothing about the Micronauts, I'm gonna go with Bug being the fan favorite. He's the Wolverine of the group. I'm gonna disagree, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. Okay. We've got Fireflight. We've got Commander Ran, and we've got Marionette. And I believe that Marionette is the fan favorite because her face is in the little Marvel box alongside Wolverine. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but you're right, Bug is cute. And and he's got a little charming uh 
uh, speech tick about him. Yeah, that he's lit- got literally he's got sounds great, like tick. Great characterizations. Yeah, but he looks nobody stupid. else does. <laughs> and uh, we we get a little introduction to the microverse, the celestial silence of a planetary. Well, I guess that's just the description of what's going to happen in the battle. So, what is the microverse? Is it just like? I mean, I guess they talk about it a little bit. Like, there's a separation between the macroverse, which is where we are, and then the microverse. And everything in the microverse is small. I think we said, had this toy line come out a few years later, there probably would have been a cartoon. I think we said that in the last episode. Do you think there was a Micronauts cartoon? I don't think there was. I don't think so either. But I think if this toy line had come out five years later, there absolutely would be. Okay. And so we would know all about the microverse. Sure. And... I think it was just a concept created for this thing. I, I always thought it was the new universe, oh, but no, no, apparently no. not. <laughs> uh, yeah. Is this, other than the Nightcrawler crossover, there must be other Marvel crossovers into the microverse, don't you think? I'm wondering if that other guy that we do sometimes, Rom, sometimes crosses over with this. Mm, probably. Because that would make sense. He was another toy line. Yeah. So all of the Marvel toys in this time period... Uh, in the 80s, they're all part of the microverse. Although there's a line of dialogue that brings this whole thing into question, which is very curious, which I, I think is in this issue. It might be in the next one. I don't know. I get right. confused. Well, um, we get our introduction to the living starship whose name is Bioship. This is Biotron from the 25th century world of the Micronauts, a walking robot with interchangeable parts to make a dozen toys from one. And the Hydrocopter. A few changes, and it's a floating space-age boat that really works. Your child can combine both toys and create new ones, like this or this, as many as his imagination can dream up. Biotron and Hydrocopter by Mego. And to me, he looks like a Gobot. I was about to say the same thing. He looks like, uh, I want to say he looks like the motorcycle Gobot. Is that Scooter? No, Scooter looked like a Scooter. I swear there was a, well. Oh, the bad guy, like Cyclo or something like that. Psykill, maybe? Psykill, yeah, yeah, you're right. Now, you remember with GoBots, there were like just regular GoBots, which were kind of small, but then they had like the advanced or the more articulated GoBots. Do you remember those? Weren't they called Transformers? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think maybe they were uh, developed to compete with the Transformers, but they were, I don't know, they had more detail. They were larger. Parts of them were made out of metal. I don't remember larger GoBots. I remember the Rock GoBots, the Rock Lords. No, I, I don't remember the Rock Lords. <laughs> the Rock Lords was a spinoff of the GoBots where it was rocks that transformed into robots. That sounds boring. It sounds terrible, but for some reason... <laughs> I don't know. There was there was like a whole movie, Gobots versus the Rock Lords. Really? I never saw that movie. How do you? How are you not aware of this? <laughs> I don't know, Adam. I'm I'm usually pretty up on my uh, '80s pop culture, but this one eluded me. Um, we get our introduction to the X Men, Colossus, Ariel, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Wolverine, who of course we are familiar with. Our creative staff is Chris Claremont and Bill Mantlo. So I'm guessing Bill Mantlo is providing the micro-knots side of the story. Possibly. We get uh, Penciler Butch Juice, who I'm wondering, is he related to Jackson? Or is he Jackson? Who's Jackson Juice? Uh, well, he was a penciler for Deathlock and probably some other stuff. Oh, well, maybe. Uh, or yeah. the brothers. 
That's possible. I'm wondering if Butch was like, Butch is a stupid name. Call me Jackson from here on out. <laughs> and I don't know if it's Geis or Juice, but Jackson Juice just sounds like a great name, doesn't it? I, yeah, I, I, I would guess Juice as well. <laughs> and I also like the idea that there are Juice Brothers out there. <laughs> uh, Bob Weasex, the inker, Michael Higgins, uh, new letterer for us anyways. Uh, same thing with Bob Sharon, new colorist for us. Bob Budiansky, new editor for us, but... As always, Heem Shooter sitting in his office up high, chiefing everything. You know where I know Bob Budiansky from? I do, Adam. The Transformers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, was, did he write it or was he just the editor? I thought he was a writer. Okay, so he might have written some of those Transformers issues that I grew up with. I think he wrote all of them. I think you might be right. <laughs> I think... Uh, or at least like the first 60 or something. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that British guy takes over at some point, and that's when they become worth money. Oh, okay. I don't know where that natural or where that break is, but I do recall reading all of the Transformers comics, which I've done, uh, and it seemed to me like there was a race between the comic books trying to keep up with the toy line, and since you know the comics were monthly, it's you know, I mean, I don't think they came out with a new toy line, but every 12 months but that doesn't really give you that much time to develop a story. They kept throwing in new characters just out of left field. Uh, and then yes. at one point they just like stopped all of the storylines and then they were in space. Right. I think that's where the cutover is. Yeah. Okay. That I was... think a whole, a whole new author takes over and the, those stories are much more, I don't know if they were popular cause that's when I stopped, but uh, that's when the comic book raises in price. If you're looking at a price guide. Interesting. I wonder if that's like the uh, uh, same effect that happened with the star Wars toys back in the eighties. They like re-released the power of the force with the coins, but they sold so poorly that nobody has them. And because nobody has them, those are the ones that are worth all the money. Oh, that's an interesting thought. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I never actually thought about it that way. That's definitely a possibility. Although the writer of the British, uh, the, the, the British writer that they bought in was also the writer of the British Transformers comic, which I, I, for some reason I had always believed was very popular okay. in, in Britain at least. Well, maybe the, U- the UK. Maybe he was a better writer than uh, Bob Budiansky. Could be. Yeah, I had I have the first two, which are the least valuable, and then I quit. <laughs> yeah, the, I remember the first issue of that new series had the dinosaur that transformed into a star or into a space shuttle. I don't think it yeah. turned into a robot guy. I think it went between those two, and I was like, "Well, this doesn't make any sense." <laughs> and I remember when the toy launched; like, I think it was the size of a small house pet. So in that regard, it was cool, but I was like, it doesn't turn into like a dude, like a robot, like a machine. It's a, it's a robot. I don't know. Whatever. They gave up at that point. Yeah, Transformers, like, like, like G.I. Joe somehow always had a thread of a storyline. Transformers seemed to be kind of all over the place. They tried a few times by inserting human characters like the mechanic mm-hmm. and also Circuit Breaker. Oh, Circuit Breaker is awesome. But... Other than that, they didn't succeed very well. There was a lot of stuff with Sparky Witwicky and... Yes, Spark Plug and his dad. Right. Whatever his name was. Or or Buster Witwicky, as he's sometimes known. Yeah, he had a different name in the comics sometimes than he did on the TV show, right? Right. And then they introduced the character from the TV show in the comic as his cousin or something like that. Okay. Which makes no sense, but... <laughs> We should just keep talking about 80s nostalgia rather than these stupid Micronaut co- comics. Cause folks, Let's just change the show to the 80s nostalgia show. <laughs> folks, this this four-part series, is just, it's not good. I didn't think it was 
bad. All right. Well, let's... it's it's definitely more of an X Men comic than it is a like. I learned very little about the Micronauts in this, and maybe it's because I don't really care about the Micronauts. Right. But this is definitely an X Men centric story. Um, yes. I'm surprised that some of the things that happen here don't matter. <laughs> You're going to have to help me out here because uh, I retained very little of these first couple of. Uh, uh, issues okay well we'll we'll, we'll go through them quickly yes please um rogue is not here which makes me wonder if this was written prior to Hmm. or maybe drawn prior to uh rogues joining the team and then just finally released much later that could very well be good point nothing else in the book really places it in time other than the cast of characters like they don't really refer to anything well in the fact that the new mutants are around but yeah exactly they do they do refer to some things yeah you're right so that definitely places it after where we are. Like the fact that Storm has a mohawk mm-hmm. is kind of critical because didn't wasn't Rogue a part of the team when she had the mohawk? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, when did she get the mohawk? Yeah, she got the mohawk. Uh, she got the mohawk in Japan. Yeah. And, uh, and Rogue was definitely a part of the team then. Okay. So yeah, this this. So I'm wondering if maybe the story was written and then drawn later. And then rewritten the Marvel way over the top of it. Yeah, Rogue is uh, she's on hiatus. I mean, this whole thing that happened with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and her mom. She's upset. Yeah, yeah. So she's like, Professor, I gotta take a furlough on this one, and off she went. Very well, Rogue. Okay. Come back in four issues. <laughs> So the Micronauts are uh, in the living spaceship. So the way that this works is there's a living spaceship who I think is the size of a human being uh, in the macroverse. And the Micronauts are inside of the living spaceship and they're about six inches tall. They're small. Yes. And they're fighting off to uh, a battle. Let me see if I can summarize like the first 10 pages very quickly. (laughs) Yes, do that. All right. So... Apparently the Micronauts have an arch enemy who they have teamed up with. His name is Karzon or Darzon or something. Karzor? Well, whatever. We're here. Baron Karza. Okay. Yep. So he's their arch enemy. I guess he's in their series. He's a dude. He's got armor. He's got like red bumps on his chest and on his belly. And he, I think he has a sword maybe. He's got yep. horns. All those things. Yep. He's a He's bad looking. He's bad, and he apparently manufactures genetic dog soldiers, mm-hmm. um, which is his army, and he doesn't treat them very well because he's a bad guy. He is. But apparently there is a worse force in the micro uh, microverse, and they don't know who it is yet, and uh, so they have teamed up, the micro, the Micronauts and Baron Karza. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's pretty much all you need to know through like page, I don't know, eight or something to when the entity shows up. And the entity is somebody who, if you're a longtime X-Men reader, you're like, huh, this guy looks really familiar, but I can't put my finger on it. At now, least- did you, did you recognize that? Cause I completely skimmed over that fact. Uh, okay. Maybe me saying that if you're a longtime X-Men reader is a little bit of a tip off, but I looked at him. I'm like, who? I, 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 I've seen this character. I had seen this character before. Uh, we find out. We'll find out who, who exactly he is in a little while. But I couldn't place if he was maybe one of the character sheets from the old uh, Marvel superheroes role playing game, or if mm. I had seen him in the pages of Avengers. Or I knew I had seen him somewhere. I just didn't know where. 
And then when when we get the reveal, I was like, oh, that's right. <laughs> so anyways, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. So okay, there you go. He's so, got he's got like a like a flame sword. Oh yeah, because because like yeah, <laughs> duh. <laughs> Ninjas are cool. He's um he he's slicing through these dog soldiers like crazy, man. He's he's a he's a murderer and he he's happy and. He's like, I love killing. Yay. So I think everybody is on Karza's dog breeding planet place. Uh, I don't think so. That'll come later. Whatever this planet is, um, the entity snaps his fingers and destroys it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 how tough he is. Yeah. So nobody's on this planet other than the entity. Oh, it's the planet of Darnell. Yeah. So it just, boom, just like that. It succeeds. It uh, uh, ceases to exist. Right, and and it explodes, and uh, the explosion sends uh, particles of debris and uh, asteroids, presumably, at Bioship and all of Karza's stuff, um, and destroys most of Karza's fleet. Uh, Karza, being on the Bioship, orders the Bioship to retreat, and we learn that. The entity, as easily as he destroyed a planet, has taken over the Micronauts. And I was a little um, confused as to, like, who's in charge. Because <laughs> Karza, I mean, he's a bad guy and he's like a baron or whatever. And he has his own little dog planet of machines that make soldiers. But if he's teamed up with the Micronauts, shouldn't one of the Micronauts be, like, the leader? And don't isn't Bioship the Micronauts' ship? Yeah, the Bioship is the Micronauts' ship. He has some sort of psychic bond with Commander Ran. Yeah, well, I guess. I guess there's other instances, or at least one other instance, where Karza is able to order Bioship around. Well, in this in this instance, he basically says, "We got to go, or we're going to get killed." And the Bioship thinks about it, and at, at a minute, he's like, "I, I don't, I don't, I want to help the Micronauts," but then he realizes, actually, I there's nothing I can do. And then he says, we'll be back. Yeah. And so the entity, uh, he shows up and he snaps his fingers. I don't know if he snaps his fingers, but he takes over control of the Micronauts. Right. And Karza? No, that's when Karza orders Bioship to take off. Yes. And that's when we cut to the X-Men. And the X-Men are doing X-Men-y things. Storm swimming, nightcrawlers juggling, uh, kitties wearing I don't are those cutoffs? I don't really know what those are, but they're they're a little freaky. They are very short shorts. Yeah. She's she's getting some fresh air sticking her head out the window. Ah, what a day. What kitty pride voice is that? Oh. Mm, what a day. <laughs> Did you just reinvent Kitty Pride for the 2016? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's a new year, everybody. New voices. Uh yep. And so she's Hanging out with her buddy Alana and uh, Lockheed's at her feet. You know they're just they're doing X Men stuff. I didn't realize. Like I thought, I saw Nightcrawler, but for some reason I thought it was a stuffed animal. Probably because of the teddy bear. <laughs> yeah, and uh, looks like. Oh, actually, here you go. Rogue. Isn't this Rogue in the danger? No, this is Sunspot. He no, just, that's Sunspot. He just happens to have a little tuft of white on the back of his hair for some reason. Coloring snafu. Anyways, apparently, uh, while Roberto and the professor in the danger room, Kitty is typing, or she's thinking about, like, how she's overworked and she doesn't have time for fun. And so the professor is able to, apparently, uh, he hears these thoughts, and then he's able to hack into Kitty's computer and write her a note. Which is, I don't know, I feel like Chris Claremont probably didn't write that, because it just seems 
like something that's never happened before. He's looking, anyway, it doesn't matter. He's looking over at Butch and whoever that new letterer is, and he's like, "What do you? What do you, you guys are killing me? The professor's psychic. He doesn't control computers." Well, no, it's not that. It's just like Kitty. Kitty Pride's never had thoughts where the the professor can't help but hear what she's talking about. Yeah. Which is what happening. She's thinking about how the professor is uh, such a stick in the mud, so loudly that he can't help but overhear it. Right. And so he hacks her computer and says, that isn't true, young lady, and you know it. However, you are hereby assigned 30 minutes extra study in psionic shields and defenses. An apparently necessary reminder that you should she- keep your thoughts to yourself. And I don't know, the professor power don't work like that. Ilana, have you ever had one of those days? Nope, I let, him, I let you have them for me. <laughs> Ilana turned into Nightcrawler. Well, I was trying to do a Russian thing there <laughs> with slightly a girly voice, and yeah, it didn't work out. Mm. Meanwhile, down at the danger room, the rest of the new mutants show up for class. This isn't a regular class, is it, Professor, says uh, Sam Guthrie, cannonball. And they're, uh, that, that's him. They're about to start up a new exercise uh, with their new, tomb, uh, new teammate, Magma. Oh, wait, she's not, they're, no, they're about to start up present. a new exercise, and she's not present. And that's that's another thing that dates it. Right. Although I think she shows up later in the series, doesn't she? She does. But for the purposes of this particular test, she isn't ready yet. She's too So new. I think this was written before Magma and they wrote this part in. Oh, eh, that could be. I don't know. I'm just still trying to explain the absence of Rogue. Mm-mm. Like I told you, she's, you know, she's, she's on vacation. She's had a rough couple of weeks. Uh, and so the professor's about ready to get the, um, the exercise going when an explosion occurs in the danger room control center. And the professor goes flying out into the danger room. As uh, do all the new mutants. Yeah. Yeah, they all do. But Sunspot is able to regain his balance. Uh, Sunspot's already in there. So he's able to catch the professor. But the rest of the new mutants, they're on their own. And that's when Karza shows up and he looks all big. But then in the next panel, it turns out he's little. Yes. But even though he's little, he's able to handily take on these new mutants. <laughs> that was a pun. Mm-hmm. Because he uses his big hand to choke Sunspot. So he shoots his hand. And it gets big. That doesn't is, really make any sense, but... I don't know. Maybe the hand reacts to the size of the uh, attacked. Mm-hmm. I've seen you before, Shorty. My sister has a set of toys, the Micronauts, and use one of them. That's my sunspot. Uh, that's good. <laughs> so right away, there you go. We're locking the Micronauts into a toy series. Right. So the Micronauts in the Marvel Universe, as in the real universe, are also a toy but apparently they're also a toy that happens to be based on something real. Which begs the question, was there some executive uh, at Hasbro that was like, huh, we happened to see a Micronaut one day. is like, I should make some toys. Like, what's the origin of having Micronauts be real and toys in the Marvel Universe? I think it was Chris Claremont saying, the X-Men are real and the Micronauts aren't. And if we're going to have a crossover, I want them to be a toy in the X-Men universe. I want it well established that these are playthings. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, so Cannonball knocks Karza into a wall, but despite Karza's size, he's still pretty invulnerable and is able to take Cannonball out. Uh, Rain is completely useless as she transforms into a werewolf, and he just shoots her. Sunspot. It's all sunspotty, but Karza's able to rip up the floor and make him go flying. He uh, then, what's what's her what's her name? Uh, uh, 
uh, Moonbeam, Moon sh- the Cheyenne. Danny. Danny. Let's say, let's say Danny. I know her real name. Danny Moonstar. Moonstar. Danny Moonstar. There you go. She tries to project his greatest fear, which I guess is Karza as a man. A mortal. And uh, he immediately realizes that it's a trick and does the same thing to her. Not sure how he does that, but maybe it's part of his powers. Yeah, he, uh, maybe he's able to redirect her power onto her. But anyways, apparently her greatest fear is the bear. Is it because the bear killed her grandfather? Bear that killed her parents. Yeah. No, her grandfather was killed by uh, the Hellfire Club or something. So with the new mutants taken out, Karza's like, all right. Um, now, he, Karza is here specifically to kill the professor because he believes that the professor is bound to the entity. Right. It's a very important note. Yeah, it is. Uh, he feels that the professor is the link. Um Storm blasts in. She's got lightning, and uh, she, you know he. She's able to confound Karza uh, enough so that Nightcrawler is able to teleport in and grab the Professor. Wolverine and Colossus barge in, and uh, they they do teamwork, which is something they don't usually do at first. Gangway Elf, I ain't had a decent scrap in weeks. I'm looking forward to this," says Wolverine from like 20 issues ago. <laughs> So Storm is still kind of confusing him, uh, Karza, with her powers. Colossus and Nightcrawler do a uh, fastball special. Who does a fastball special at a tiny little toy? <laughs> that is, okay, well, that is a little ridiculous, but it's still a good illustration of their teamwork. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, and then, let's see, Storm is able to whip up a windstorm, which still confuses Karza. Wolverine grabs Karza and... Uh, I think stabs him slashes him. I think yeah. is, is adamantium claws are forged of the strongest metal known. They can cut through anything, yeah. which uh, they do. My armor has been breached. I have been wounded. He shoots his hand at Wolverine tag the sucker. Whoops. Yep. Uh, and so now he's like, I'll tear the living heart from your beast. I will destroy you all is what Karza says. Wolverine goes down. Uh, Karza's thinking to myself like, oh, those first people were children, but these people are, are they're coordinated and have a lot of power and stuff. I would dearly love to slay them slowly, agonizingly, but I must complete my mission. So he just disappears. He can teleport. Yeah, you're right. He teleports behind Nightcrawler, zapping him in the back. The professor kind of wakes up, sees what's going on. The kitty happens to be phasing through the wall at the same time as Karza is teleporting around. And she accidentally... Oh, no, she doesn't accidentally. No, she she, she does it with she, purpose. She purposely attempts to short-circuit his electronic uh, systems and phases through him. It does not work. Yarg! <laughs> and a classic Wilhelm scream. And uh, what the X-Men don't know, and what Kitty does not know, but Karza is aware of, uh, they switch bodies. Kitty falls... Kitty is now in Karza's body, falls unconscious, and uh, Karza is now in Kitty's body. By the Enigma Force, my mind occupies a human form. And, what's and inter- her mind is imprisoned unconscious within my armor. And what's interesting is she, well, he, uh, who is in Kitty's body, is able to control him, his physical six-inch body as long as she remains unconscious in his six-inch body. So, effectively, he's both right now. Right. 
He's Kitty with Kitty's voice, and he's Baron Karza with his own voice. But Kitty's soul is in Karza's six-inch body. That's when Bioship shows up, and I guess he's twice the size of a human being because he kind of towers over everybody. No, not an issue four, but okay. (laughs) And he says, hold on, guys. You're doing the Marvel thing where you fight before you talk. Yes. And then uh, Kitty, is it Kitty here? Yeah, Kitty says... Listen to him, X-Men. He speaks the truth. And the X-Men wonder how he knows, but but they stand down. They stop fighting. They listen to what Bioship has to say. And you're right. In this picture, he is definitely at least twice as tall as the X-Men are. Mm-hmm. Maybe he changes his shape based on when he, like what portal he comes through into the macroverse. Yeah, could be. So he's talking about these micronauts you met before, huh, Kurt? Yeah, Wolverine. Okay, let's not talk about that anymore. <laughs> So uh, Karza, who is in Kitty's body, is talking through his own body uh, and trying to explain what happened. Like, oh, there's an entity and I thought I could, uh, I thought you were the responsibility for it. Though you appeared benign with no resemblance whatsoever to the entity, that could have been a uh, facade. I could take no chances. Mm Mm-hmm. Professor notes to himself that there's some telepathic communication that's being inhibited, so he's not really able to tell exactly what the truth is. Uh, Conveniently, he is no longer able to communicate with any of the X-Men, especially Kitty. Yes. So, whatever that means. But he does not trust this little six-inch Karza guy. Well, because, for plot's sake, I mean, if he was able to communicate with all of the X-Men except for Kitty, it would kind of be a giveaway. Well, then he would know for sure. Right. So they listen to the story. Uh, they're wondering if Kitty's okay. Uh, that's when Lockheed comes in and just attacks Kitty. And Kitty says, get that beast away from me. He's mad. And nobody's like, huh. I mean, they are kind of like, huh, that's weird. But nobody's like, all right. <laughs> I've seen <laughs> this before. Kitty, you're going to lock up. He's never done that before. I wonder what spooked him. Storm thinks to herself, I've never seen Kitty frightened of him either. Lockheed almost reacted as if she was a stranger. Hmm, I'll have to remember that for later. <laughs> but for now, it's Kitty. Well, they don't get a chance to do anything because they already determined they were going to go and Bioship doesn't know notice anything. So he just uses his reducer beam. <laughs> and now they go inside of Bioship. Gross. <laughs> Yep, so they they go off and they're about to transmit themselves into the microverse. And the I prof- wish I could be by their side, Bioship. My thoughts cannot breach the space wall separating your dimension from ours. I cannot contact the X-Men and therefore can do little to help them. If I turn my mental powers inward, perhaps I can locate the link Karza spoke of and sever it. Beyond that, the X-Men are on their own. I play, or I pray they are equal to the challenge, but I fear, I fear. (laughs) What you're about to see is a transportation system for the Micronauts. These are rocket tubes. The electric air power terminal lets you blast up, down, forward, and back again. But that's not all. You can build a space elevator or any other layout you can dream up. Even run it in the dark. Rocket tubes from the world of the Micronauts. Assembly required by Mego. And that takes us to the next 
enthralling chapter of X-Men and the Micronauts. This one's titled Into the Abyss. And uh, the cover of this one features the Micronauts wearing classic X-Men costumes. And it says, the X-Nauts versus the Micro-Men? What? <laughs> yep, and you've got almost all of, you got like a beast-looking character. I'm guessing Bug is supposed to be Cyclops because he's got those antennae. And marionettes maybe supposed to be Gene. I don't know what's going on with these other two guys, but um, there's no angel equivalent. And I guess the guy, Huntar. Yeah, the rest of them are all like beast equivalents. Yeah, Huntar, you could maybe make a case that he's the Iceman character, but whatever. It's so a, in, in the corner, we get Storm and Commander Ran now. That's so true. They're cycling through, you know, different characters. And and maybe if I'm in the comic book shop and I see this cover, I'm like, huh, this looks interesting. Because it's got the X-Men on it. It's got the X-Men on it, and it's got some weird dudes with X-Men costumes. All right. Well, anyways. It's a decent cover. Same. Yeah. It's a good cover. Uh, essentially the same creative team, except now we have Juliana Ferriter color. Oh, man. I love her stuff. She is a spectacular colorist. Nobody colors Micronauts like Juliana Ferriter. Let's talk about the Transformers for 10 more minutes. Yeah, so uh, did you see Transformers 4? I did not. Oh, it's a Transformer. <laughs> it's a Transformer. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need to know. All right. Oh, and 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 um, Optimus Prime disguises himself as the classic Optimus Prime truck from the cartoons, but then he reshapes himself into the new stupid truck. Oh, darn it. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's for free on Netflix, and I keep seeing it and being like, I should watch this. And then I reality sets in, and I'm like, why would I do that? Eh, it's all right. <laughs> I mean, they're all all right, yeah. but none of them are good. <laughs> Which is the one where they, like, took over Chicago? I don't know, all of them. They're the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, whichever one that one was, I was watching that with my daughter, and it's Transformers, and I'm like, all right, this this isn't that bad. But once they took over Chicago, I mean, there were some pretty gruesome scenes of, like, uh, you know, humans being, like, kicked out of, like, living in ghettos and being kicked out of their places and, and suffering and stuff. I'm like, Jesus, this is pretty harsh for a kid's movie. Wow, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. I, I don't remember if it was two or three, but whatever. Uh, yeah, so Shia LaBeouf wasn't in four. Right, yeah. Because yeah. he, he was Witwicky. He was. He was definitely Witwicky. Buster, Spike. Get- Get Witwicky. No, what what was his name? I think yeah, it was Spike, right? Was it Spike? Huh. I, I don't know. Right. Charles. Charles Witwicky. Charles Witwicky the third. Shia Witwicky. <laughs> All right. So the, uh, the Micronauts are in the abyss. Again, the Micronauts get the first half of the issue. So to summarize quickly. Yes, please. Um, the Micronauts are forced to psychically battle stuff that is basically, um, all, it has to do with their past. They're, they're fighting like things that, uh, are kind of their worst fears essentially. And it turns out to be a big trap by the entity to kind of break them, which works. And then after he, they are all broken, Marionette gets turned into a real Marionette Bug gets turned into a real bug. On the page where Marionette gets turned into a real Marionette, in the last panel, there's a guy that looks like a He-Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who he is, but... It's uh, Guy-Man. Yeah. He-Guy. He-Guy. <laughs> you, know you know what is on Netflix right now? Uh, both He-Man and She-Ra. Hmm. I watched a, uh, a documentary on the making of 
Star Trek The Next Generation uh, that was hosted by William Shatner. Hmm. It was it was not very good, but it's worth watching. <laughs> These characters were nothing like our characters. No, he he interviews a lot of people, and you know how in most movies when the you don't really see much of the interviewee mm-hmm. or the interviewer, right? You you get a ton of reaction shots of William Shatner. And just he doesn't say anything. Well, you, you just see him going, ah. Oh. <laughs> You can't have a documentary hosted by William Shatner and then never show him. I, mean, I think he also directed it. Oh, Lord. I mean, most documentaries are done by nobody, so you, right. you generally don't hear them or see them. You, It's very well edited so that the subject is restating the question that the interviewer probably asked and then answering it. This thing is edited so... It's not that it's bad, badly edited. It's just that the interviews are edited into a series of snippets mm. that it's very distracting. Um, and the music is annoying. <laughs> but, but you know, I like the subject. So I, I still recommend it if you like Star Trek. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's not your typical documentary. All right. But William Shatner's hilarious. So, you know, I don't have a beef with him getting, uh, you know, appearing in every interview with saying silly stuff like, you know, I can't remember what any of his good lines were, but oh, you were you were you were playing the odds, you know, stuff like that. Oh, sure, sure. Oh, you're a real con artist, aren't you? So the Micronauts are all defeated; they're all broken, and then we flip our attention to the Entity once again. Yeah. So this whole thing was a plot by the Entity to break them, and now he unbreaks them, and thereby making him their slaves. Yep. And they're all like, oh, gladly, master, gladly. We will serve you forever. And the weird thing is he's got his mask on, which covers his mouth. And at the last panel here, he's holding up a goblet, presumably of wine. How is he going to drink that wine? He, you, he hasn't put the straw in yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Just like Darth Vader in Empire Strikes Back when they sit down to eat. Does he, he opens his, puts his little straw through the... Don't you remember that outtake? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He puts the straw through his mask and... <laughs> Good. It's good stuff. It's good, isn't it, Han? Yeah, it's good. We're going to freeze I, you. I feel like somebody actually did that. I This is probably robot chicken. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so the professor's out for the count. We're doing an interlude, by the way. We're back on Earth, um, and the new mutants are playing around. The professor fell asleep. Yeah. Uh, he was up all night working. It looks like Roberto snapped a towel on the behind of Danny Moonstar Stone, whatever her name is. And she's like, don't you do that again, DaCosta. She's got a big smile on her face. She liked it. They're flirting. And then we get this weird thing where the entity suddenly weakens and he goes, arg. And then we cut back to Rain and she says, we must not disturb the professor and then we cut back to wait. Rain would never be wearing this outfit. Yeah, it's like a. I, I'm going to say that it's a um, it's a frumpy t-shirt that just for some reason is up below her mid or above her midriff. Uh, but yeah, she's wearing like a bikini bottom. Yeah, she would not be. She no. would never. She didn't know. <laughs> no, that she would be covered and everything up because she's she's got like a. Uh, she's super self conscious, right? Yeah, and and she's extremely religious. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, well, anyways. Uh, well, uh, and then he uh, they cut back to the entity, and he just as quickly uh, regains his strength. And so we're establishing that there's a connection between 
the real world and the professor and the entity. Mm-hmm. So he he regains his composure and he transforms uh, the Micronauts now into the, well, the ex-Nauts from what we saw on the cover. Gifted you, baby, Micronauts, but in the scheme of things, you're still only children. Your past, all of you believed in, all you cherished were none were uh, all you cherished all you were is no more you will become a force that sh- that will ravage first your own microversal cosmos they're just inventing words <laughs> yep. and then the micro macroverse itself um why does he turn them into the let's see you'll soon have a chance to prove yourselves others have been dispatched from earth to oppose me we must see to it they get the welcome they deserve okay so he's gonna have the micronauts attack the x-men but he wants them to be in X-Men gear for some reason. Yeah, he's playing a little game here. He, he gets off on this sort of thing. I mean, he can snap his fingers and destroy uh, a planet. I mean, there's no reason that he couldn't just snap his fingers and destroy the microverse, which is a, apparently what he wants to have done. So he, he's getting his jollies. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Bioship, he flies in, and the X-Men are aboard, and so is Karza. And they're like, look, there's the home world. That's where I live and govern. Fantastic. Wow. The planets are all linked. In the, well, in the form of a molecular chain. I almost lost my nightcrawler. <laughs> and so that was kind of my initial impression of what the microverse should be, is just like like a, a molecular atom floating around through the macroverse. So there could be like infinite microverses. But apparently this one's just, you know, us but six inches high. This this is the important one. Yeah, all the other ones are uh, the size of like a dust particle. Well, okay. Anyways, <clears throat> uh, they get down to the planet's surface and they're like, "Whoa, this doesn't look like a very fun home, Pelperin." We get this weird kind of I don't, I don't know if it's a flashback or what, but uh, there was an uprising or something, and uh, they talk about how Karza might be bad, but he's also in his mind he's just keeping the peace. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Wolverine seems to be seeing through it. He's like, I think you're a usurper who slotted home worlds and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, whatever. <laughs> we got work to do. <laughs> I am not overjoyed by your presence either, little man. Um, Kitty's still thinking to herself about how she's stuck in this body, but she's still able to control the cars of body. But she can't once Kitty wakes up, so she's got to make a plan, I guess. Storm senses that Cards is lying about something. His words contain just enough truth to make it impossible to tell where the lie is. But it doesn't really matter because they've already decided to team up with him. So yeah. this is this is all very silly. Yeah, it's a lot of dialogue that doesn't really doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, Kitty, so, Kitty being controlled by Karza is kind of nudging them, like, "Yeah, we should we should do what he says." Yeah, so. They decide to go uh, face the entity, and they uh, not Karza, robot giant Karza, old school Karza, classic Karza, uh, says that Kitty Pride should stay behind, and Kitty Pride, who is now real, really Karza, says uh, new and improved Karza. He has a point, Storm. I am kind of scared. And that's when Storm says the X-Men who faced Brood, Morlocks, and even Dark Phoenix without flinching. I find that hard to believe. Kitty stays with us, Baron. Deal. Yeah. And still, in the typical Marvel uh, uh, manner, nobody's like, this thing with Kitty's getting out of hand. (laughs) We really need to watch her. But uh, Maybe maybe this is Storm's secret way of uh, watching her. Yeah. Keep her with him. 
Yeah, like maybe there was a thought bubble that they forgot to add back in. So they get on to the Bioship, and apparently Bioship likes to sing when he flies. Karza beams back to, or, or fake Karza beams back to his planet and um, I guess meets his lackey, who's fairly unimportant to this story. Uh, he's somewhat important. Uh, his name is Degrade. And yeah, he's definitely a, uh, well, he's like the toad to Magneto. Yeah. He has, he has plans of usurping Karza's power, which Karza calls him on and... Master? Silence, lackey. You will treat me, my armor, as you would me. So he already degrades like, something's weird here. Why are you in your armored form? Well, not just that, but, uh, he, he... He says something, I forget, that tips him off. But uh, maybe maybe this is the next issue. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, he he senses something. But he's like, oh, okay, fine. I, I, you're the boss. I'll do whatever you say. So uh, Bioship th- gets to, I guess, the planet. Uh, they need to warp into the planet's surface for some reason. And then uh, Bioship crashes onto the planet's surface. Yeah, they, the Bioship is following his Psy-Link uh, sci- connection to Commander Ran. And homing in on it, uh, and it leads to this, whatever this planet is. Thump, and then the X-Men crawl out of Bioship's mouth. So, is this how Bioship lands? He just crashes headfirst into the planet? I don't know. Um, Or did he get, like, affected by something? There's a weird disconnect between issue two and issue three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I, I don't know if maybe uh, it, something was intended that never got played out. But uh, for, for all intents and purposes, let's just say he landed. <laughs> well, because it says Storm on the next page and they're crawling out of his mouth. He's like, they say, my friends, that any landing you walk away from is a good one. In other words, we just crashed, but we're alive, so that's okay. Nightcrawler says the vessel is completely inert, the robo, the ro- roboid equivalent of being in a coma. Do you know how Nightcrawler knows that? Because he's a doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even for bio ships. Uh, Storm surmises that Ran is a prisoner. Somehow the entity used his mind link to lure Bioship into his clutches, and uh, maybe we've been led this way all along. She's very paranoid. And then she sees something. But not paranoid enough when it comes to Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then she sees something to validate her paranoia. She sees a mock replica of the mansion. But the weird yeah. thing is, is it's full size. So when they land on the ground to go closer, they are not, uh, they're just as tall as like big blades of grass. Yeah. It, it, it's, uh, it's weird. So they walk up to the door. Colossus punches through it. They walk oh, wait, in. Oh, wait, no. Uh, Storm tells Kitty to phase through the door. Ah. And that's when Storm says, I don't know how. Or is, she she pauses and thinks to herself, I don't know how to properly use the brat's ability, but saying so will reveal my deception. And that's when Stor- uh, Colossus just says, I'll do it. I got this, Kitty. And so they get inside. Uh, Wolverine is like, everything smells right. <laughs> hmm. Perhaps the mansion was shrunk and transported to the microverse as well. But it's, it's not, not shrunk, shrunk. Colossus. <laughs> yes. I'm not good with proportions. <laughs> Fascinating uh, concept, Colossus. But Wolverine, do you not sense a wrongness about this place? And then the professor shows up with the micro X-Men. Yes. Micromen. And he says, actually, Nightcrawler, a more appropriate description would be a feeling of evil. Look <laughs> at my x knots They're big and you're small. Let's fight. Welcome all to Professor Xavier's 
alternate school for gifted youngers, youngsters. <laughs> so they fight. Uh, oh, Nightcrawler points out that they're the, the Micronauts because none of the X-Men would have known. Oh, who are these guys? Oh, they're the Micronauts. Yeah, so they fight. Uh, there's not really much to say. Kitty sneaks off because she's not really able to use her power. Yeah, uh, they, there, there's there's some fighting. They all get, uh, I think they all get knocked out. And once they're all knocked out, the professor kind of bends down this evil professor. And as he's bending downward, he turns into the entity. Oh, they also capture Kitty. Yes. She gets kicked, it looks like, by yeah. a giant foot. She was trying to sneak off, but it looks like maybe this is Commander Ran, I think, kicks her. Yeah, I think so. And then we get a actually a pretty decent panel of the entity. It's a full-page spread of his face. Not his face, but his his helmet and the face mask and his big hand outstretched holding little mini X-Men. The X-Men are toys now. Yeah. In the microverse, you are the toys. We cut back to the home world of Karza, where Karza is screaming. Yarg! And Degrade is like, hey, is everything okay? And Karza says, to answer your question, my mind, this armored body is once more my own. I am free to speak, to move, and at last, and at last, most importantly, to act. So when I'm reading this, I'm thinking like, Oh, so Baron Karza's back into his own body again. Adam, I think that's how you're supposed to read it. Okay. I don't think it's supposed to be obvious. I think you're supposed to be like, oh, man, Karza's back and crap's going down. So what happened to Kitty then? Is she back in her own body? That's the assumption that that readers have to go on for a whole month until X-Men and the Micronauts number three comes out. Man, I can't wait. From the world of the Micronauts, Micropolis, a totally new concept in building sets. With these snap-together connectors, your child can easily create dozens of space-age wonders. There are three Micropolis sets. Each combines with the other and with all other Micronaut toys. So he can build anything from a space tower to a galactic fortress to an entire city complete with monorail. As Micropolis grows, so does your child's imagination. Micropolis by Mego. And this one's got Colossus and Bug in the little Marvel box. Right, yeah, yeah. This one's titled, Mine Eyes Have Seen the Gory. The X-Men and the Micronauts are, uh, what is it? They're trapped, it says on the wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's like one of those, um, what, uh, it's a, like an imprint of the entity's head, but it's very much like um, Havoc on that old X-Men issue. Yeah, it's it's like a, all all color fills, so it's there are no lines right. except for colors. There are no blacks. This one actually almost looks like a mistake to me. <laughs> it kind of does. Because it looks like they, they drew this and then they just stamped his head on top of everything. Yeah. yeah let's yeah. put the entity in here. This book isn't selling very well. It's not terrific. This will this will sell. This will sell some books. Yeah. So uh, same same creative staff, I think. Was Joe Rosen doing letters last issue? Who cares? Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the Micronauts and the X-Men are now, uh, looks like they're in the mansion surrounding the professor. Oh, the professor's having a nightmare. Oh, okay. That's what's happening. So, so don't be fooled. The whole next page is part of his nightmare. Yeah. Which was basically the X-Men and the Micronauts on some Micronaut planet. Just, just killing everybody hacking and slashing oh but wait this is actually happening so the the professor is not just having a nightmare but he's actually experiencing what's happening 
and he can feel that most of the members of the both teams are not very happy with what they're doing, but they're doing it anyway because they're under the entity's subservience. Yes. And then there's also a character here called the Archivist, who I, I must be a Micronaut thing. He doesn't... He's not very important to this. Kitty now is able to phase through a wall and she grabs a guy who's got a phaser and he she pulls him backward into a wall and I think she lets go of him. Yeah, she unfazes him in a wall. This is one of those things that like she said like, "Ew, I would never want to see what happened when I did that." And she's she's doing it right here. And as the the dialogue box says, uh, is enjoying the pain she inflicts. I get the feeling that Bill Mantlo wrote the first two issues and Chris Claremont wrote the second two issues. Ooh, that could be. Maybe. That was, that was just my feeling. These I, next, the last two issues feel more Chris Claremonty to me, but I could be wrong. I did uh, enjoy issues two and three more than, or three and four more than I did one and two, but maybe I was invested in the story so much that I couldn't help <laughs> myself. Uh, so it looks like most of these Micronaut Planet people uh, are surrendering and... Uh, yeah, they're the dog soldiers. One of the, mentioned them previously. One of the guys, I don't. I think it's got to be a micronaut. Uh, he wants to know what they should do next. I think that's Commander Ran. And that's when Kitty comes in and she's like, The answer to that should be self-evident, Commander Ran. We have no mandate from the entity to be merciful. Thus our captives must be killed. No, says Huntar. Okay, so now you're thinking to yourself, all right, the entity has uh, the X-Men under his control. That includes Kitty. So really this pain she's inflicting is the entity's doing and not her own doing. Well, no, I don't assume that because, you know, it said, the caption said that she was enjoying the pain that she was inflicting. Hmm. And so I just assumed that it was it was still Karza. So I'm a little confused, I suppose. But but Adam, we just saw that Karza rejoined his body in issue number two. Well, uh, <laughs> All right. issue number two was greatly misleading. <laughs> <laughs> so the entity shows up and he's like, no, no. Without me, you don't know what to do. And obviously I want you to kill everybody. Um, and then he grabs Commander Ran and he uh, turns him into dust. He which... If I'm a Micronaut reader, I'm like, what? What? You killed Commander Rand's my favorite character. But then in the next page, he brings him back. Oh, everything's just fine. But but see, that's a test of my power. If I can disintegrate you and bring you back from disintegration, just, just you don't you don't even want to know. And he's like, I need you guys to be really bad. It's it's great that you've been killing all these dudes, but uh, you got to be more of a more killers and. And Kitty's like, may I slay the dark soldiers now, your radiance? And he's like, oh, I'm you're kind of impressed with you, but I'll do it. And then he kills him with um, a psychic assault. Yeah. So all of them die ex- except for the the other thing, the thing that I mentioned before. The archivist? The, the, the archivist? The archivist, yeah. Uh, and so millions of voices cry out. Obi-Wan and, Kenobi uh, is like, oh, just I, I need to take a knee here for a moment. You continue <laughs> on with your exercises. He falls out of bed. The professor, not not Obi Wan Kenobi. He's not in oh, this comic. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and the new mutants are like, "What's going on? We need to help him." Sam, help me, says Sunspot. So they turn him over. And... Where is the professor in in the comics? Can he walk yet, or is he still like exercising, trying to get back to be able to walk? 
he is still exercising to try and walk. But Adam, walking, I think, is literally right around the corner. I yeah, that's I figured. <laughs> but but not here. Here he's still working on his exercises, so he cannot walk. Okay, wasn't sure because you know, and and whenever they do these side issues, he they never refer to the fact that he has limited control over his body now. Yeah, they're never quite in. Yeah, they're never quite reflecting what's actually going on in the comics. Right. Well, he's sleeping peacefully now, or so they think. Well. He's crying. Well, I mean, they think he's sleeping peacefully, so they put him in his bed, and as they close the door, some tears streak down his face, so he's clearly not sleeping peacefully. If if they're gonna, if he's not better by the morning, they're going to call all the emergency numbers in the phone book, including, I think they mentioned Moira McTaggart, which I don't know why you wait till the morning. I guess, I guess in case it's not an emergency, but I mean, seriously, just do it. <laughs> so I guess they he keeps the archivist, we're back on Micronaut, the planet uh he keeps uh, the entity keeps the archivist uh, alive and i'm going to say it's archivist not archivist because the archivist's job is to record and watch everything and keep everything for history or posterity or whatever and he says the reason i kept you alive was so that you could record all of this you must have it and transmit this information back to baron karza so that he can know of what has happened on this planet of his dogs <laughs> Well, I think the, his job is to archive, yes, but I think it's pronounced archivist. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so, I don't know. Oh, they, that's funny. They call the, they call, so uh, then the entity destroys the planet and then uh, Degrade talks to Baron Karza about it and they call the world the kennel, which is kind of funny. And I think when he blows up the planet, he leaves the archivist there so that he can record and transmit the entire explosion. And that's when the archivist is destroyed. You can, see the, you can see the archivist. I don't, I don't mind. No, Adam, I, this is all about you. <laughs> ah, finally. Archivist. Ah, I'm the archivist. Um, in this page, essentially, we learn that oh, the Baron Karza seems to have a little bit more sympathy than usual, uh, to the point where Degrade starts questioning uh, what's going on with him. He's a really strangely built creature, uh, Karza is. He is. He's very bulky on top and... Wide on the bottom. He looks like he's standing backwards in this that photo. Like, it looks like his back, like the legs are facing backwards, but the front is facing forwards. I, I'm confused. It's like, anyway. so, it's like whoever created this character is like, I'm going to create a really cool, evil-looking character, right? Because they got the horns, they got the spiky chin and the helmet and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but they just drew everything too big. <laughs> it's an interesting design. I mean, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not critiquing it. I'm, I'm, I find it curious. But I guess maybe, maybe curious is uh, unique. Who knows? Yeah. So, anyways, Degrade uh, is definitely like, why are you so upset about this? And uh, Cars is like, look, we had allies, and now they're dead. So that sucks, right? And it's like, what? This doesn't sound like you. And then Cars is like, don't question me. And he sends a little fist after Degrade and starts choking uh, Degrade. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'll, whatever you need me to do. But it's, it's kind of weird. You're being weird. You're being weird. And he thinks to himself, he seems a changed man since his initial encounter with the entity. And that's when we finally find out, I think, I'm trapped yeah. in this awful body, playing this awful role, and I don't know how to escape. I could be Baron Garza for the rest of my life. It's not 
bear. I don't know how to use this body. Oh my god, I'm a robot centaur. <laughs> yeah, apparently Baron Karza can uh, shape shift, and uh, Kitty accidentally shape shifts into a robot centaur or a rocket powered centaur. The head, the chariot, and the pounding hooves of Equestron, the galloping demon horse. Batteries not included. You can seat Kronos in the saddle, stand Lobros in the chariot, and you charge. You can pretend he sneaks through enemy lines, breaks down all barriers, as he gallops to victory. Equestron, from the Micronaut Collection. Kronos and Lobros each sold separately by Migo. She goes through all this stuff, and then at the end of this, when she finally pulls her helmet off, she says, I'm Kitty Pride." Yes. So uh, this is this is if you're like a 14, 13 year old girl who gets transported into the body of a robo man, that sucks. That's heavy. Yeah. I'm with you. Meanwhile, uh Baron Karza stares through the eyes of Kitty Pride at the trappings of his own uh gilded cage. He has been transported or he slash she has been transported to a pleasure room in order to be seduced by the entity. And this is another reason why I think this is by Chris Claremont. Yeah, it's kind of Claremontian. She's in a bikini and she's like, oh, this is weird. Uh, the entity comes in and he's got still got his gold armor on. He's got a gold chalice. He's got a bathrobe on, which is. Which is so stupid. It's really <laughs> stupid. And he goes uh, over to Kitty and starts touching her chin. And he's like, I've got a reward for you, baby. Check out my pimp robe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing this robe. I don't even need to, but I am. And Kitty uh, is, or Karza in Kitty's body, I think is playing it off. Yeah, she's playing it off as though she's Kitty. Yeah. Well, e- evil Kitty. Yeah, but but not Karza, basically. Like, she's right. she's... All in on this evil thing, and she's like, uh, "What about the X Men of the Micronauts?" And he says, "Well, they they were not as faithful as you, little one, and thus they are now uh, sample pleasures of a somewhat different nature." So they're in a cell, the dungeon. They're in a super dark dungeon. I don't even think they're in a cell because there's like stairs. I think they're just in some really dark dungeon. Uh, we get the we get a scene where Wolverine decides that like now that they have some semblance of control uh he's gonna kill everybody because he doesn't he doesn't like the fact that they're being dominated in mind and body by this entity guy he goes to kill storm colossus grabs him and says yet and they have a little argument um colossus as, as long as they have hope they should continue on well colossus also says like hey you saw what he did to Commander Ran. Like, you could kill everybody in here, but the entity could come and just bring us back to life. That's true. So let's... Process makes a good point. Let's just have hope and, you know, then we'll just go from there. Hope is the one thing that he wants to destroy of ours, and so we must not give him that. So they they all wake up. They have a little laugh. They're kind of joking about their uh, uh, state or... Uh, you know what's going on, and uh, some of them, some of the micronauts are like, "How can we? How can you laugh about this?" And Commander Rand says, "It's because we're human, and and you know, the odds are ridiculous, and sometimes you gotta laugh, man." And then we cut back to Earth, where Danny Moonstar is taking care of the professor, and this is, I guess, where we get the big reveal, right? The professor wakes up. Not yet. I mean, it's coming very shortly. But so Danny is. 
taken care of the professor. She uh, touches him flesh to flesh, and that's the moment that the professor is able to uh, psionically escape his body uh, is by the physical contact of another psionic person who is Danny. And that's when uh, she, he is able, I think, I think, is she, he able to com- communicate with Danny? It looks like no. Uh, here, here's what I think happened. When the professor passed out in issue two, he got put into a coma yeah. of sorts. Yep. And um, he's been, or maybe maybe he just got the coma at the beginning of this issue. Regardless, he's stuck in his current state. And so when he touches Danny, who is, I don't know why the New Mutants are always scantily clad in, what was his name? Butch Butch Juice? Yes, Butch Juice likes scantily clad women. Um, or New Mutants. And, well, and men. Hey, and he doesn't can- discern. Cannonball is frequently wearing very little. Um, so the professor touches, uh, Danny and because he's able to touch her, he physical contact enabled me to forge a momentarily link between your set powers and mine. I could not smash through the side wall that barricaded my conscious mind, but now I'm able to get into the astral plane and I'm going to go and do stuff. So he and that's up- when Danny wakes up and doesn't, doesn't even realize what happened. Yep. So the professor heads off to the astral plane and that's when the entity feels it. He's like, whoa, Xavier's body sleeps, but his mind is on the loose. But, I mean, the entity was on his way to consummating a relationship here. Yeah, this is a pretty awful panel. <laughs> Remember, Kitty's 14. Yeah, yeah. She's in a bikini. She's all uh, uh, laid back, kind of in a, I don't know, the opposite. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> and uh, he is in a very dominant position. Yeah, not sure what he was his plan was he I, i've never we haven't seen him take off his armor yet i think that was the next step but uh, and all he's really done is throw on things like this robe <laughs> well that was about to come off adam let me just add a couple more layers <laughs> it's cold in here baby so uh, he uh realizes that xavier is body is is still sleeping but his mind is on the loose he must be in the astral plane so he goes to meet him in the astral plane and that's when the professor says the entity clad in the psychic armor I forged for myself decades ago when I battled the telepath Farouk, the first evil mutant I'd ever encountered in Cairo, circa X-Men number 117. Who is he? How did he gain access to and control of my innermost self? Whoa. So so that's what we were talking about. If you If you knew who this was just from seeing it, that's pretty impressive. I certainly didn't. I didn't know who he was. I just knew that I'd seen him before. He, I went back and I looked through issue 117, and you honestly only see this armor. You see it from the back a lot, but you only see it from the front and maybe two panels. It's the helmet. The helmet's very yeah. distinct. It's a very distinct helmet. It's true. So uh, while the entity is on the astral plane, his physical meat sack or his body is just sitting there. So Karza in Kitty's body is like, is it so easy? She pulls out a knife and just stabs him in the back. Skunk. And he falls to the ground. He's like, "Which is that? It? Am I? Did I? Did I do it? All right, cool. All right, I'm. I'm. I'm gonna kill the X Men and the Micronauts then. Uh, yeah, here we come. Me and this knife. We're just gonna. Everybody's gonna die now, and I'm not gonna change out of this bikini because this is my <laughs> killing bikini. Yeah. 
So back on the astral plane, the professor and the entity are fighting. Naked professor and entity. Yeah. The uh, entity's psychic um, uh, presence, uh, uh, I think, stutters a little bit, like reacting to the to the pain or the, the stabbing in his back. Um, yeah. And he's like, oh, shoot, I got to do something. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck out here. Yeah, he, yeah, because he can't go back into his body now because his body's dead. So the professor captures him in a psychic hand, but the entity is uh, is gloating. Um, and the professor's like, what? I've won. How? Could, why is he acting like he won and I didn't? That's weird. So he goes to take off the entity's helmet. And as we've seen a little bit behind the helmet, he's essentially a, a very meaty looking person. But I guess I guess not. Yeah. Yep. He pulls off the helmet and he looks at him. He's like, my thoughts were shielded. How did he know? Oh, wait. He's thinking to himself, I mustn't let myself, my overconfidence, make me careless. The battle ended far too quickly. And that's when the entity who's getting his helmet removed says, you're quite correct not to trust such an easy victory, Charles. And then he says, how did he know? Isn't it obvious? I'm you. No, says the professor as he looks at himself, the professor. Adam, have you ever thought about the meaning in Empire Strikes Back when Luke faces Vader in the cave? I have. And you want to know, uh, have you ever listened to the radio special that they did, the, the, the radio teleplay of it? When I was a very young child, I remember them. I think they aired them on NPR, maybe. Anyways. Well, if, if you want a very good explanation of that scene, watch the radio play or watch. listen to the radio play. Well, why don't you just tell me? I don't remember. <laughs> oh. But I just remember thinking, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because we just, in preparation for episode seven, I, me and the family, we watched four, five, and six. Not one, two, and three, because screw those. But we watched <laughs> four, five, and six. Uh, and, you know, as much as I like him, I got to the cave scene. I was like, what? Yoda says, remember your failure at the cave. And I'm like, what was his failure? Uh. Well, that's that that's that's not as entirely clear. But essentially what happens in the cave is he learns that um he has the potential for evil just like Darth Vader. Mm. So when he gets unmasked by Darth when he unmasks Darth Vader and it's himself, he is able to see that he could just as easily fall down the, the dark path okay, so, as, as Darth Vader did. So by killing Darth Vader, he would, in a sense, become Darth Vader. Something like that. Uh, well, I mean, I guess that wraps nicely around Return of the Jedi. So the, the lesson there is you got to try to save him. Maybe. Right. And you went in there just ready to fight. And it's, and it's also a foretelling of the, the obvious foretelling that Right. Darth Vader is his father. Spoilers. God, spoilers. Jeez. You want to put a spoiler alert in front of those? <laughs> God. Uh, too soon. Anyways, I only bring that up because this is somewhat reminiscent of that. I'm you and you're me. Sort of. But I highly recommend if you haven't if you haven't listened to the radio plays uh, recently, go listen to all three of them. They're all they're actually all quite good. Huh. Um, and they they add a lot of detail of cutscenes and stuff and they explain sequences and I know that, and, and, and some stuff is unnecessary and silly. Right. I know that there's but, a scene that exists that I don't it's never made it into any of the special editions and maybe it's not even made it into any of the cutscenes from the movie, but there's a scene with uh Luke and Biggs on Tatooine that 
I think I, that's in the cutscenes in the on the Blu-ray special edition. Okay, I don't have. It, actually, it's on YouTube as well. Okay, because I think somebody ported all of those into YouTube, and that's how I saw them. I should check that out. But the only reason I know that it exists is because I had the Star Wars storybook, like the picture storybook that you used to be able to get from the right. Yeah, with the record. Uh, no, no, I didn't. No, I mean, oh. I probably had some of those too. In fact, oh, I know I, was, you had to turn the page every time R two D two went. I didn't have the Star Wars ones, but I know I had the Indiana Jones ones. But no, I had like a. Like a like kind of like a magazine size, but it was hard bound, and it was like the story of X Men, but it had like full color photos from the movie. And you mean a, Star Wars? Star Wars. What did I say? You said X Men. Oh well, that, <laughs> of Star Wars. And there's a there like a big picture of Luke and Biggs standing on something, talking to each other on Tatooine, and it always stuck with me for some reason. And then through the years, I'm like, why is it stuck with me? Like I've never actually seen that particular scene. So I guess I'll have to search that out on YouTube. I had the, I had the same experience that for some reason I saw those scenes in a storybook and they stuck with me. I don't know why, but yeah, there's, there's bigs and you meet, uh, Luke's friends, fixer and, and cammy and, uh, all those scenes are in the radio play, but they're also the, the cut scenes as well. Oh, okay. Dropping some Star Wars knowledge on ya. Yeah, son, you got to listen. So anyways, uh, the entity now, who is the professor, I guess, uh, so we'll say evil professor, switches bodies or psychic bodies with good professor. Speaking of evil professor, do you think this is evil professor from like, remember the, the original classic series? When we oh, when we, yeah. we we learned about evil professor, yeah, he had to like lock him up in the like dungeon of his mind or something. Yeah, they never uh, connect this to that, but I feel like maybe the roots of that story are, or the roots of this story are kind of in there. I, I mean, the, the the temptation of the professor to turn evil is something that plagues this through forever. Yeah. I, I do vaguely remember that issue. It's a good theory. I, I think I think so. Anyways, I yeah. wanted to I wanted to go back and read that one too, but I didn't know which one it was. So evil professor's plan now is he now has a body to go back to, uh, and the professor has one that is dead or dying to go back to. Yeah, somehow just revealing that he was uh, had the professor's face and he was the evil professor gives him the upper hand, um, and and I, I'm not sure why, but. Yeah, the, the, professor, the professor is thrown off guard, I guess. He's taken aback. He's like, what? And then that's his time to strike. So anyways, the uh, Micronauts and the X-Men are, uh, I guess, escaping the dungeon. And they find, who's this guy? A Croyer. Acroy. Acroyer. It could be a Croyer. I don't know. <laughs> it's a dumb name. They find Acroyer and they say, hey, man, let's go. And he's like, ah, I'm a warrior, but I'm afraid right now. So I can't go with you. Everyone's like, we're all afraid. Shape up. Let's go. All right. I'll go. And they go. We're all scared, Acro Year. So what? <laughs> yeah. So the band is back together. Except me. I'm not scared. I'm Wolverine. The best, the best there is at what I do. <laughs> what I do isn't very nice. So they're walking along. Kitty is in her bikini still, and she's got a gun that now she's aiming at the X-Men, specifically Storm. That seems like a cliffhanger. But it's not yet, sort of. This is why the entity had to die, and that is why heroes you too must perish. 
The mind of Baron Karza bends the finger of Kitty Pride on the blaster trigger. Oh my god, they're going to die. But then we flip our attention to the Earth, where the new mutants are hanging out. Sam's got no shirt, but he's okay. He can pull it off. He's got no shirt. He's got his arm around Rain. Hey, baby, I got abs. I know you're a little funny looking, but I'm Sam Guthrie. I ain't picky. Oh, and Magma's here now. Yep, she well, did. That, that's good. She showed up, yep. And they're like, hey, how's the professor? And Danny's like, ah, she's, he's fine. He's just sleeping. So how about we all go to bed? I'll stay up. Uh, and if, you know, why don't you check on me in an hour or so? And by that time, the professor will probably be okay. Uh, and, if he's, and if he's not okay by the time we all uh, wake up tomorrow morning, then we panic. That's a great plan. Uh, yeah. And, and, and then maybe we'll call Moira, but not <laughs> yet. Not, no, not yet. The professor's in bed, and he uh, is at first scared, but then he develops a smile on his face as the entity's uh, psychic form descends upon the professor's physical body. Everybody, if things aren't good tomorrow morning, we're going to panic. Okay, go to sleep. Good night. That's, that's terrible. The battle cruiser and time traveler sold separately. Plug in the Energizer and you're in control. Batteries not included. But that's just the beginning. Blast off. The nose is a fighter plane. The wings are scout cars. Fire. Five toys at once. And that's still not all. You get 72 parts that let you build over 25 different toys, all from one battle cruiser. Battle cruiser from the Micronaut Collection. Time travelers sold separately by Mego. Which... Turns our attention to the fourth and final installment in this riveting series. Number four out of four issue limited series. This one's titled Doppelganger. And on the cover uh, in the little Marvel box, you've got a Croyer and Huntar. Huntar. And they're attacking but, each other. Well, they're, 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 they're part of the full cover. Oh. Which is all of the X-Men and the, and the Micronauts are getting tossed aside by Dark Xavier. And that's what it says in the cover. Dark Xavier exclamation point. And it looks like there's at least one or two, if not three evil new mutants next to him. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, Rick this Parker. Is a, this is not a good cover. <laughs> is, no, it's a terrible cover. Rick Parker is joining us for the letters, but the uh, rest of the creative team is the same. And Danny is no longer like she's she's sleeping next to the professor. We left her off right where we uh, we stayed up right where we left off. And but now she has tied her shirt up so that her entire waist is exposed, and she's wearing very small underwear. Panties, to which I say, oh yes, panties. To which I say, why? What is this necessary for, uh, Butch Juice? Come on. Well, you know, here's the reasoning. Uh, Danny was up. And uh, she had her shirt going down past her panties, as you do when you're sleeping, you know, just whatever. And then she got hot and she's like, oh, I'm so hot. And so she tied up her shirt. <laughs> but it's just my belly that's hot. My flat, flat belly. <laughs> yeah. So she's asleep. The professor is up in his wheelchair, it looks like. Yes. And immediately it was revealed that his mind is not his own and... It's it's very strange what's happening here, but the uh, it looks like the astral form of the entity in the entity armor um, enters Danny's body, and apparently she has some sort of ecstatic, sensual caress from that. And the professor says, "Like that, did you, child?" And she looks all uh, 
evil at him and says, yes. Well, if you're a good girl, you can get some more. So let's go. Creepy. <laughs> uh, we were promised that Kitty pulled the trigger, but Kitty has not yet pulled the trigger. The X-Men are still walking in the dungeon, I guess. Uh, this gun doesn't even look like it has a trigger. It doesn't look like the same gun as last issue either. But uh, so she's like, there they are. And so she aims the gun. She's getting ready to shoot. And uh, Wolverine, who is a spy and used to be a soldier, looks up. He's like, hey, there's something up there. Heroes. Well, it looks like she shot the wall. It's so I don't know why his senses are even necessary. Uh, oh, look, somebody fired a bullet at the wall. I think... What has happened here is she, Kitty is up there. Because if you look at the angle from which Kitty is looking at them, they're looking at uh, their right side, and then we see a view of their left side. So I think that that's the glint of the gun. And I think that there's a little outline of Kitty that has been colored the same as the rock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think. All right. So I think he's seen the glint because uh, then somebody, I'm guessing Wolverine says, Sniper! Colossus jumps in front of... Uh, Commander ran and takes the brunt of the shot. I guess she decided not to shoot Storm. Yes, which is what she was lined up on last issue. Mm. Nightcrawler teleports up there and he's like, Unglaublich, I forgot how to speak German. <laughs> Isn't it Unglaublich, like a UN? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Or maybe it's a new word. Unglaublich. I, no, I think it's just a, <laughs> our letter failed us. Um. So yeah, he teleports up and punches her and She's one of our own, an X-Men, Kitty. Unbeknownst to Nightcrawler and the rest of our heroes, Kitty, Pride, and Baron Karza's mind switch bodies in the X. Micro's in number one. And if you didn't know that, why are you reading issue four? <laughs> well, you never, like, you know, and this was the this was the 80s. I started Transformers, since we haven't talked about them oh. <laughs> in issue three yet. Uh, <laughs> I started Transformers from issue four, which, when I picked up the issue, was number four in a four-issue limited series. And uh, I had no idea what was going on, but I figured it out pretty quickly. Did, didn't they expand that? Wasn't that one of those ones that they said... Yeah, you get you get to the end of the series and says, hey, guess what? We've sold so many copies of this series. There's going to be an issue five. Okay. And it, it definitely ends on a cliffhanger. All the Autobots die. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the first uh, the first 12, 15 issues of the X, or I'm sorry, the Transformers, uh, it's pretty grim stuff. Yeah. So issue four starts out with like, boy, that sure was a fun adventure with Spider-Man. Wasn't it Optimus Prime? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then... Yeah, and then they die. And then they all die. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. Kitty now phases through the wall, um, basically taunting Kurt. I'm not sure why the walls start to explode. Well, Kurt's also like, oh, Katzchen, she phased away. I don't understand. The entity. The entity still has her. So, still... They don't know that this is Karza. They think that the entity has control over Kitty's mind. Okay, and the, when the earthquake happens, it's because Karza is moved in on the entity's planet and they're destroying it on the spaceship. Uh, Kitty inside of Karza's body. D-Grade is still like, well, even though he's waging war, he still has a softness and his voice is tinged with sadness. It's weird. This is just worthless lives that are being lost. It's, yeah. I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, Karza, who is actually Kitty, screams out, Professor X! Despair or degrades like, what? What are you talking about? Ooh, why does she say that? 
Well, I don't know because he shows up. He doesn't show up, but like an astral projection of his face shows up, but then it disappears. Oh, wow. They There's not even a caption to explain that. Nope. <laughs> okay. It's not explained at all, but now Kitty knows that something's wrong with the professor. So she teleports down to the planet and says, bye. Uh, let's see. Yeah. The grade says, bye. <laughs> the bear what? Well, and she also orders... As Karza, him to stop the bombardment of the world below. And as, as after she's gone, he says, a pity that someone will forget to order an end to the bombardment. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to follow orders. Kitty, uh, Karza in Kitty's body now, uh, makes her way up to where her, her little sex room or whatever, where the dead entity body is. And then Kitty in Karza's body... Gets a jump on her and uses his fist thing to choke her down. And that's when the X-Men and the Micronauts show up and... Tear your gullet off the kids' tonsils, Karza. Or you answer to the uncanny X-Men. And us Micronauts, too. We're still here. See, you want to know what's... If you, if you want to take this to its logical conclusion, Kitty is wearing this pink bikini thing still, which means the entity who really is the professor's evil side, I think had to take all of Kitty's clothes off in order to get this pink thing on, unless she was wearing this under her costume. <laughs> well, you know, every time there's a costume change, that's pretty much what happened. But we never really think about that. Like, I think of all the times that Magneto has changed the costumes of people or, you know, it's yeah. just a thing that supervillains have to do. And we've commented on it every single time, Adam. Oh, absolutely. But they're, they're you know, I think because of the comics code, what, what has happened is they kind of do it with their eyes closed while looking away. Oh, sure. And they kind of casually tie things until they're covered enough where they can, like, tie things in the back and whatnot. So, you know. Kitty, let me know when you're decent. <laughs> okay. Ready? Okay, I'll tie you up. All right, so the X-Men and the Micronauts break in, and now it's a case of mistaken identity. Who's who? And they all assume that Cars is the bad guy and Kitty's in peril, so they attack accordingly. And then the professor shows up inside mm. of the entity's body, um, which, which is weird because I thought that the... Entity couldn't go back into his body because he got stabbed, but apparently... I think, I think we find out later that the body's dying, but maybe not. I don't remember. Kitty, in Cars' body, is now the only one that's like, Professor X! And then the entity, the professor in the entity's body, is like, Yup, uh, alive for now, but I may not remain so for long. And then the professor says, It seems... Uh, our kitten has changed places with Baron Karza. And everybody's like, that explains everything. <laughs> no wonder we were suspicious. Okay. And so the jig is up. Uh, uh, and Wolverine confirms it by saying like, yeah, this kid can't even teleport through the glove. I mean, face through the glove. Kitty finally says no. Or Karza in Kitty's body. No absolute mastery over the child's powers has eluded me. Even though I've already done it two or three times. Yeah, it's, so first she can't he can't figure it out. Then he murders people yep. using it, and now he can't figure it out again. Yep. Yeah, you know, it comes and goes <laughs> in waves. So cars or the entity now in the professor's body back at the mansion is going to use Cerebro to amplify his own mutant powers to kill what? Everybody in the microverse and then the macroverse maybe? Just kill everybody, I don't know. Sure, why not? Uh and so he he turns it on and that's when crap goes crazy in the microverse. 
Right. Yes, he's doing he's doing a destruction type thing because apparently now he uh, he he says somewhere I don't know if he says it now or later, but his ability to snap his fingers and destroy things is gone now that he's in the macroverse. Yeah. So that's why he's using Cerebro. Um, I don't know. The bombardment continues. They're like, why is this happening? And Kitty and Cars' body is like, that's a good question. I asked him to stop. I wonder why he's not stopping. <laughs> Cars and Kitty's body is like, because Degrade's a jerk. And that's when they remember that Bioship is still on the planet. So they're like, I wonder where Bioship is. And Bioship's like, I'm right here, just waiting for you to call. What? Yeah, I woke up a while ago, but I didn't come because you didn't ask. What? You're mad? Oh, I guess I would be too. All right. In fact, I'm on my, my way. landing my landing was totally uh, on purpose. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so Bioship flies over, sucks up all of the Micronauts and the X-Men into his body cavity. Yeah. And they fly off. Degrade is like, what is going on? Go bots away. <laughs> and so they figure out the, what, uh, that something's wrong. Fireflight figures out something's wrong. Uh, uh, let's see. Someone attacks the Enigma Force. Commander, should he breach the space wall and destroy the Enigma Force itself? The power that pers- blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, the, all of the worlds in the microverse are going to be destroyed. So we got to do something uh, and we got to do it soon. Uh, Fireflight, uh, I think, controls some of the Enigma power. Yeah, she she understands the Enigma Force. Oh, it, that's and it looks like uh, Bugs' uh, antennae are like little hats on Wolverine's head. I was like, "What is that on Wolverine's head?" And I was like, "Oh." <laughs> so Firelight is able to sing a song using the Enigma Force to get them through the space wall. So she does. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, Degrade dies. Yeah, so, so he's not important. Song is sung. They get through the, the space wall. They land on the, the front yard of the mansion. Uh, however, they are only six inches tall. Yes. And this is the second instance where Karza, who is in Kitty's form, was able to order Bioship to make him a costume. So now she's not in a bikini. She's in like a like a purple and black costume. Oh, look at him. I mean me, Aurora. Karza's playing with my body. He had the Bioship create a new costume for him. I like it. Now, what's interesting is you would think that she's going to keep this costume because that's typically what happens when heroes have uh, costumes designed for them by villains, but, mm. but she doesn't keep this costume. It's also interesting that they call her Ariel in this uh, series. She's still not Ariel yet Are in the you Uncanny. sure? No, she's, she's definitely Ariel because she, Ari- she? she was Ariel in uh, God Loves Man Kills. I know that, <clears throat> but I don't think she's been referred to as Ariel yet in the series. Mm, you could be right. I I don't know. I think Ariel is only used. I don't know if Ariel's ever actually used in the main series. <laughs> it may not be. I think like maybe like you know Marvel Age or Marvel Saga or whatever those guide to the Marvel universe will refer to as uh, Ariel. But I think that they you know they just haven't settled on a name yet. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, so they uh, uh, Kitty in Cars' body is like, oh, I hope I can get back to my old body. Storm hugs the Cars' body. Which is weird. <laughs> and that's when Cannonball attacks Bioship. And now Bioship looks to be about the same height as a human. Yeah, yeah, you're right. All of the evil new mutants now are attacking Bioship, punching him and stuff. Maybe it's because of the way that they came through the Entity Force, not the normal way, but through the Firelight singing way. 
It makes him smaller. Sure. <laughs> we'll go with that. He gets tossed into a tree. Uh, the Micronauts and the X-Men jump out, but they're only six inches tall. And now they're all fighting. The, the, the entity has taken over the New Mutants. Yeah. In case, in case you wondered why the New Mutants were trying to kill uh, Bioship and its crew. Inside of Bioship... Uh, let's see. Bioship has the power to heal the professor, but the professor's like, no, have Bioship save himself. Uh, Nightcrawler, try to keep me alive as long as you possibly can, but if natural causes take their way, let me die. Um, you want me to let you die? But, but I'm a doctor. That's not what I want to do. If necessary, Nightcrawler, I want you to kill me. But that's really not being a doctor. I'm the doctor. So the Micronauts are wondering why they're pulling their paint, uh, punches when the New Mutants clearly are not. But, you know, that's that's what the heroes do. There's some goofy scenes of, um, is it Bug, maybe, swinging from Danny's p- pigtail, ponytail? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's all goofy. Um, I don't know. They continue to fight. The professor is, uh, he's got a plan here. Magma, uh knocks the bio ship into a crater uh, and and looks like she's dumping some lava on him. Right. And so the lava is uh, going towards Nightcrawler and the professor. So Nightcrawler is trying to get the professor away from the lava. And then there's the whole death thing and he's wrestling with that. But meanwhile, the professor's psychic self uh, enters the mansion and is running around, finds Alana, thinks Alana's dead, but then realizes that she's just unconscious. Uh, has a quick little back and forth with Lockheed, so to say. Lockheed recognizes the astral form and that Kitty's in danger, so Lockheed takes off. And that's when the professor meets the entity who's connected to Cerebro, and now they're going to have a final duel of sorts. Yes. Uh, the entity um, does not realize that the professor is inside of his mind yet. Right. So the professor, or I guess it's the entity at this point. I'm not sure who it is, to be honest. I skimmed a lot of this. But I think it's the professor is seeing like images of his original X-Men, the Blob, the Sentinels, all the new X-Men. Uh, well, the entity's mind is the professor's mind. Right. So um, he's seeing a lot of his own memories uh, Gene dying, Magneto, Lalandra, Dark Phoenix, etc. So real, right. but not real. Merely a memory. Still, I would not lose my memories. They comprise um, the totality of what I am. Okay. I must excise this entity. Yep. Meanwhile, Lockheed... Lockheed joins the fight. Mm-hmm. Scatter the X-Babies, but don't hurt them. How know you, Kitty Pride, that the creature is not itself under the inf- evil influence of the entity? That's a good question. What, is, what has Lockheed been doing this whole time? Chilling. <laughs> Why is everybody so evil? <laughs> He's like, any minute now, I'm going to eat this little Russian girl. Oh, geez, there's the professor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on the case. Here I go. <laughs> so, yeah, Lockheed's doing a lot of good stuff here. Um, shooting Kitty's body with, with Karza inside of it. Yeah. Uh, Lockheed senses that Karza is inside Kitty's body and attacks it. Kitty and Karza have a little battle, including the shooty hands. Somebody's seizing my mind, taking over Karza's armor. Tis the entity. He now recognizes us for who we are. Uh, yeah, so the entity still doesn't realize what's going on, but does, or as far as the professor being in his mind, but does realize that now Karva, Karza is inside Kitty and Kitty is inside Karza. And he has an, that makes so much sense moment. 
Yes. And now he's making them kill each other. Mm-hmm. And I think the entity now realizes that there's somebody in his mind. Um, by the end of this page, eventually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, something happens. There's an explosion, and Kitty's Kitty body goes flying towards Peter, and she says, "It's me, Peter. I think I'm back in my own body." Yeah, they they basically phase back into each other, and Fire Flight somehow s- helps by singing because that's what she does. She sings. No two enemy beings can physically occupy the same space in time and live, but I'll sing. <laughs> So she does. And now Kitty is wearing a, a swimsuit. Not sure how that happened. Oh, yeah. Good point. No idea. Uh, bio ships complaining about the magma. Oh, it hurts. I can no longer maintain any internal life support systems, including my own. So the time is running up for the professor. So Nightcrawler grabs the professor's body and teleports out. Well, this is a weird thing because, like, we get one panel where Nightcrawler is carrying the professor. In the next panel, he it looks like he bamps. Mm-hmm. And then the next panel, he says, I dare not teleport. The shock might kill him. Yet if I do not, the heat and lava will. And then it looks like he uh, he, he he lands from his bamf. Well, what it means is he can't teleport three times, but he can teleport two times. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I, mean, I dare not teleport again. <laughs> so there's a psychic battle in which all of these memories, uh, the Professor's Sanctuary and him are attacking the Entity, uh, and the Entity, uh, the Professor, I don't know, convinces the Entity to commit suicide. Uh, do you have a better way of saying it? Um, I know I read this, but I barely remember this. It was also, I don't know. I've come to destroy you complex. as I should have done, as I thought I had done earlier. Destroy me then. You welcome death? Your death, yes. And if that can be achieved by my own, then so be it, says the professor, looking all happy. Your obsession with the battle split your concentration, weakened your hold on the automatic functions of the brain. You may still rule my mind, but I control my body. Um, Okay, so the professor commits suicide, thereby killing the entity, and then we'll figure out what that means later. A simple stroke, a ruptured blood vessel in the brain, soon massive hemorrhaging will either slay me or completely destroy my cognitive functioning. Suicide, says the entity, and the professor slumps over. Okay, so I remember what happened, but we'll find out later. So yeah, the the professor killed himself. He's dead. Okay. Uh, oh, but like there he is on the next page. <laughs> the per- well, what, I don't know what happens here. Like something shoots at Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler says, Uglaublik again, the professor. Well, what hits uh, Nightcrawler is the entity. Okay. So the, the entity, what turns out is the professor um, put himself to the brink of death, but the entity was convinced that he was killing himself, so the entity fled the body, but the professor really only... Well, the professor was willing to kill himself, but he, he only brought himself to the brink of death. Luckily, Nightcrawler is this great doctor. Yes. And Bioship is also dying, but he's, he, he'll be okay if they can get him back to the microverse. Well, and not only that, the Micronauts are stuck in the macroverse and the X-Men are six inches tall. How are we going to fix all of these problems? There's no solution to any of this because we've learned that Bioship can't do anything. He can't maintain any life features other than his own. and He can barely do that. And uh, I don't know, Fireflight, maybe she doesn't have the power to do the singing thing. No, she does. She's she's what happens. <laughs> well, Bioflight says like, well, I can die. I don't like doing it, but I'll just come back. Isn't that what he says? <laughs> no. 
Nope. Uh, Biotron. Is that, is that his name? Bio, uh, the Bioship says, wait, he, why does he call him Biotron? <laughs> All right. So what I had formerly led to believe was Bioship, uh, who is now Biotron, says, I can get you back, but it'll kill me. And I'm cool with that. Um, but then. Well, no, he says. And then he says, or, or I can restore the X-Men, but that'll also kill me. Um, so I'm going to do that. Commander, though I do not wish to die, I have done so before, and I must say it was rather peaceful. Biotron. <laughs> Thus, since I will pass anyway, I ask you not to grieve, but to return home and carry on your fight, as the X-Men must be restored to carry on theirs. Like all else he has ever done, the Bioship's last act is a noble one. So he does die. Okay. Yes, he does. He and he restores uh, the X Men back to their normal size. And uh, Fireflight has already determined that she has enough strength to get the, uh, the micro knots back to the microverse, which will kill no one, which is good. And I'm sure Bioship will be back in the next issue of Micronaut, uh, Micronauts, in case you, dear listener, care. <laughs> yes. The professor reiterates everything we just said about this whole game of psychic chicken and the stroke and whatnot, uh, and everything is back the way it should be. Wait, the professor... Oh, so the professor didn't even need medical help. No. He he, He faked it. Yeah, he faked the whole thing. (laughs) All right. I made him believe I was initiating a massive fatal stroke. So the the entity is like, whoa, I'm out of here. Professor's like, yeah. He fled back to his own body, but by then the body was dead. Therefore, the entity ceased to exist. And that, thank the Lord, is the end of X-Men and Micronauts. I only wish I could atone for his atrocities. It's true. He did kill a lot of people. It's very Jean Grey. Yeah. Although they don't really deal with it the way that they did with Jean Grey. Where was Heem Shooter to jump in and say... Hey, you know, he's Jean Grey die. just killed a whole lot of people. He's got, he's got to die. Where you know... Well, but that's because uh, the professor's psychic counterpart killed a bunch of dog-like clones. Yeah, but he also killed the way does the entity. Well, no, he takes responsibility for the entity. So in the first issue, he killed the whole planet of the Arnell. It's the microverse. It doesn't count. I'm betting Jim Shooter didn't read this. <laughs> He's like, you guys did what? Whatever. It's the microverse. Nobody cares. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there you go. All right. They glow in the dark. Lights on! Alien creatures with brains that glow in the dark, each sold separately. Repto, half reptile. Antron with four arms. Membros, the brain. New alien creatures include Centaurus, the warhorse. Kronos, the winged warrior. Lopros, from the undersea planet. Turn out the lights. They glow in the dark. Centaurus, Kronos, Lopros, and all other alien creatures are sold separately by Miko. I uh um I wanted to I wanted to address something. It's something that we do an awful lot here on X Men, uh, the Danger Room, the X Men Comics Commentary Podcast, and that is uh, we refer often to uh, Terry the Pterodactyl. And <laughs> I saw a, a thing, a tweet on Twitter where people were like, "Yeah, the Danger Room, they talk about Terry the Pterodactyl." And I think uh, somebody else said, uh, "What from Pee Wee's Playhouse?" And that's a good guess. I mean, there was a Terry the Pterodactyl on Pee-wee's Playhouse, but no, we're referring to Nightcrawler's seldom-mentioned pet from the Savage Land, Terry the Pterodactyl, as recounted to us when Kitty was giving Ilana a tour of the mansion from, I think, a Marvel 2-in-1? 
Uh, it was X-Men special number one. Ah, so there you go. Folks, go back. I know we covered it, but if you're wondering, like, why do these guys always talk about Terry the Pterodactyl? That's why. I'm sure whoever created the Pee-wee Herman Terry the Pterodactyl had the same brain fart in coming up with that name. What about a pterodactyl named Terry? It's genius. <laughs> it's right to itself. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So, yeah. Terry appeared in one issue and never again. <laughs> but in our hearts, he will be there forever. Maybe that's what happened to him. He disappeared and went off to join Pee Wee's Playhouse where he learned to talk. No, I think Lockheed ate him. <laughs> yeah, that's what I Maybe Pee Wee's Playhouse is inside Lockheed's belly. Ooh. Um, I even did some Googling on Terry the Pterodactyl and Nightcrawler just to see if, you know, like a lot of times it's, it's clever of, uh, new writers and artists to bring back, you know, very deep cut, uh, characters. Like the, uh, like this whole series was about the entity. Yes, exactly. This was, this was almost kind of a retcon of sorts, but not really. Yes. Uh, and nobody has done that for Terry the Pterodactyl. <laughs> So, hey, listeners, if you are a writer for the X-Men, this is this is your chance to to bring him back. And Nightcrawler can be like, Terry, where have you been? <laughs> oh, my, missed you so much. And then it could be Dark Terry, the pterodactyl who kills all the X-Men. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> we, could, we could do a what if. What if Terry the pterodactyl were real and dark? Or maybe he has, like, Terry wants vengeance on Lockheed. Or no, he just wants vengeance on Nightcrawler for not taking care of him. For not feeding him. <laughs> One week you you loved me and then years went by. Uh, anyways. Yeah, so I uh, just wanted to clear the air on that. On the land and on the sea, from the Micronaut Collection come alien war vehicles. Fantasy figures and vehicles each sold separately. There's Lobstros with claws that grip. And Sharkos, the alien sea cruiser, batteries not included. And this is Ampzilla. Standing like this, you can pretend he's a monster, but open the secret driver's seat and it's an alien vehicle. Ampzilla, Sharkos, Lobstros, and all figures each sold separately by Mego. In 2011... Which was, this, let me interrupt. This, for, for those of you who are new to the podcast, this is a an annual tradition of ours to to recount the year's uh, previous uh, episodes to just kind of uh, mark how did we do? Did we beat last year's record? Did we fall short? Uh, so that's why we're doing this. I think we've done it twice before, but anyway, it, now uh, it's an annual tradition. 2011 was maybe a half year. That's the year we started. Yep. Uh, so we did 27 episodes in 2012. We bumped that up to 39. 2013, we bumped that up to 40. 2014, went back down to 39. So we're pretty steady. What do you think we did in 2015, Jeremy? Well, my initial reaction is that we didn't do well because we had there was a lot of stuff that happened this year that took us away from our podcasting duties. But we also had a flurry uh, right before Days of Future Past. So I think maybe that might make up for some of the lost time. Are you sure Days of Future Past was not a 2014 thing? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was. I don't remember. Time flies these days. Uh, are you telling me that that movie was not in 2015? I think it came out in 2014. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm going to base my answer on when that movie came out. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure 
that it came out in 2014. Oh, Lord. May 23rd, 2014. Okay, good. All right, well, <laughs> I then. I going crazy. Uh, I'm going to put 2015's total episode count. Uh, I'll put it at 32. Oh, so close. Ooh, what was it? Am I higher or lower? You are higher. Oh, I didn't even get it by Price is Right rules. <laughs> yeah, it was 30. 30? Yeah, which is practically a half year for us. Although, maybe we, maybe not a half year. I don't remember when we started, so. Yeah, well. 20, 20, 27 is no slouch for our first year. We We also had quite a few two-hour episodes this year. Oh yeah, I, I guess I could have broken those into halves. I think Adam, what what the real measure should be in 2016 is how many hours of content did we produce? I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> Fine, <laughs> but you can. All right, 2016, maybe that'll be my goal. Okay, Adam, uh, for the podcast in the year 2016, uh, do you have any goals? Well, I think our goal last year was to have more episodes, but I don't remember that. I probably should have re-listened just to see if we had any resolutions. Oh, that was definitely my resolution was to do more we, episodes this year than we did last year. We tend to try to make the resolutions something that we can do. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm speculating that it was will still be on the air. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, maybe, maybe we wanted more than 200 likes on Facebook. I don't remember. Did we do that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh, we're above 200. Right. So hey. go, go us. Uh, yeah. So, so this year's new year's resolution will be to produce more episodes this year than we did last year. Okay. Well, I, I yes, I agree. Uh, we, we should, we should, uh, try to have a more consistent year. We'll, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> No promises. Yeah. We're not beholden to anyone but ourselves. Uh, all right, then. So we'll be back next time, right, Adam? Oh, yeah. We are not done with four-issue miniseries. No, no sir. way. Uh, until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. The noble Micronauts, heroic beings from the Microverse, scale an Earth mountain in pursuit of glory. The path is long and treacherous. However... Shut up, Pharoid. It's getting old. Fatigue sets in, turning the Micronaut called Eddie into a total bullshit. Shut it! <laughs> oh, God. Andy! This rope didn't break. It was cut. Ha ha ha! This mountain belongs to me! It's a croyer! Yeah? I, I mean, I, I thought it was pronounced acroyer. You're both wrong! It's actually. Oh, sons of bitches!